Our faith is not a fable or a philosophy or a feeling, but a fact. And that fact is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The man who died on the cross on Good Friday was buried in the tomb. On the third day came back from the dead in glorious resurrection power. And this morning we want to proclaim before all the angels of heaven, before all the demons of hell, before this wicked world, that the stone is rolled away, that the body is gone, that the tomb is empty, and that Jesus Christ is risen and he's alive forevermore. Demons couldn't down him. Satan couldn't kill him. Sin couldn't master him. Politicians couldn't stop him. Rome couldn't finish him. Death couldn't hold him. The grave could not contain him. Jesus is alive. The title of my message this morning is simply Risen, the reality of the resurrection. And there are a number of truths that I want to highlight that hang on that central fact of our faith. Each one of them will have a different passage of scripture. So if you'd like to turn with me, please, to John chapter 20, I'd like to read you the first eight verses from the Passion Translation. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance of the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go and tell Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she told them, they've taken the Lord's body away and we don't know where he is. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go and see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in and saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloths lying there, But the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separately to the other cloths. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and after one look, he believed. The first thing about the resurrection is that it's a rock solid fact. Critics and skeptics over the years have tried to debunk the resurrection. Some of them said Jesus didn't die on the cross. He simply fainted and then in the cool of the tomb, he revived again. Others say the disciples stole the body and then they staged the greatest hoax of human history that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. Another view is that everybody imagined the resurrection. It was just one big mass hallucination. But against all that, against the voice of every skeptic and every critic, the Bible tells us over 50 times in the New Testament that Jesus rose from the dead. The angels announced it 
at the tomb. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Paul wrote about it in his letters. Listen to what one British High Court judge says after he sifted through all the accounts and read all the eyewitness testimonies. He said, after considering the evidence, no intelligent jury anywhere in the world could retain, could return any verdict other than Jesus really did rise from the dead. Just let's think about it ourselves for a minute this morning. Jesus walked on the Emmaus Road. He talked with Cleopas and his friend. He cooked breakfast for his disciples. Then he ate fish with them. He breathed on them. He was seen by them and he allowed them to touch him. That's pretty overwhelming evidence. Jesus was alive. He rose again from the dead. Brooke Westcott, the theologian, says, There is no historical incident better or more variously supported. The resurrection would stand up in any court of law, anywhere in the Western world, as a rock-solid, irrefutable fact. Moses, the founder of Judaism, is buried in Jordan. Mohammed, the man who established Islam, has his tomb in Saudi Arabia. Buddha was cremated and his ashes are in northeast India. Guru Nanak, the father of Sikhism, his remains are in the Punjab. But the garden tomb where Jesus was laid is empty. He used it for a few hours on Friday evening and throughout Saturday, but then he vacated it on Sunday morning and he is alive and alive forevermore. The resurrection is a fact. Now if it's a fact, there's a big implication. It means we have to make a decision about it. We can either reject it and shut Christ out of our lives forever, or we can accept it and become one of his followers. But the one thing we cannot do is simply ignore it. And this morning, you are here because the Holy Spirit has called you here. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been a couple of times before. Maybe all this is new to you. And maybe for the first time you've come face to face with this central fact of history that Jesus Christ is alive. And now you have to make a decision. What am I going to do? And the decision that, the, that God wants you to make is to accept not just it, but to accept him and receive him into your heart and life and become his follower. That actually brings us to the next truth about the resurrection. If you just look down the page in John 20, let's read from verse 19. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they'd locked the door to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared amongst them, and said, peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. 
And then he told them, just as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And then taking a deep breath, he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. As well as being a rock solid fact, the resurrection can also become a personal encounter. When he came back to life, Jesus didn't appear on the top of a mountain or in a cloud in the sky, distant and inaccessible, mystical. He came to where people were living. He came into real lives. He walked amongst them. He talked to them. He touched them. And he made the resurrection a personal encounter. That the resurrection wasn't just something he wanted them to believe in. It was something that he wanted them to experience. And this morning, we are here not just to celebrate the resurrection... Not just to remember the resurrection, not just to sing about the resurrection, but to actually experience it for ourselves. So it doesn't just become a tenet of faith or an event of history, but it becomes a personal encounter. And that's what this reading is all about. That the disciples, after the events of Good Friday... On the Saturday and then on the Sunday, they were still in confusion. They went to the room, they locked the doors, they closed the windows for fear of reprisal. But the risen Jesus isn't kept out by thick walls and strong locks. He comes to them. And the first thing he does is he shows them his hands and his side. He establishes the fact of the resurrection. And then... It says he takes a deep breath and he breathes on them. Maybe individually, maybe as a group. But one thing is clear, that his resurrection life went deep inside them and became embroiled with their life. So that now the resurrection isn't just a fact to them, but it's an encounter. It's an experience. And that single encounter transformed them. They were different people from this point on. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that Christ has been raised from the dead so that we might live in newness of life. You see, he's saying the resurrection is something we can experience and it's something that can transform us. That happened 2,000 years ago. But you know what? Jesus has been walking through walls and coming through locked doors for the last 2,000 years to breathe on people and make a difference in their lives. Just this last week, I met a young woman who used to be a militant feminist and a lesbian. She'd been in a relationship for 14 years, but one day her partner said, why don't we go to church today? It's interesting, isn't it, that God's at work in every situation. Don't write anybody off because God hasn't. And so they went to church. And they went the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And then 
the risen Jesus showed up to minister to this young woman. Despite her prison, and I don't just mean the prison of her chosen lifestyle, but all the years of abuse and neglect that had gone on before. He came through her locked doors, behind her defensive walls, and he met her. His presence was so real one one Sunday that when the altar call came, she ran forward and threw herself on the floor and started to hammer with her fists and scream at the top of her voice as Jesus relieved her of all her anger and all her rage. Her testimony was that she felt two hands holding onto her feet as she was there getting free, extracting all that junk from her. And when it was finished, she was completely changed. Jesus breathed into her. And today, she's a beautiful person. She's a wife and she's a mother. I was talking to a young woman yesterday and I was hearing about her daughter. In fact, Val and I had met this young girl some months ago in Thunder Bay. Her name's Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth was only born with half a heart. Already she's endured three open heart surgeries and six other different procedures for tests and preparation. The morning after one of them, when she was just three and a half months old, mum was feeding her in in the bedroom uh, of the hospital and she became aware of a disheveled figure standing in the doorway. And and this young man said to her, uh, what are you doing? And she said, I'm feeding my baby. And then he said, is she still alive? She recognized this young man as the vascular surgeon who'd undergone that procedure with her the day before. And the back story was that during that procedure, there was a time when the entire blood supply was going through just one vessel. And that had somehow got clamped shut. So when they did all the tests at the end, they realized that her body was completely void of oxygen. And the doctor thought, I've killed her. Or at least I've reduced her to a vegetable. And he went on a bender. He was so grieved. And then he plucked up the courage to come to the hospital to find out the worst. And he discovered the best. Because what he didn't know was that these people were Christians and that when he'd made his mistake, the risen Jesus had stood in that room. And when death came, trying to claim that baby, the risen Jesus said, no, you will not have her. And he breathed the power of his resurrection into her. And what wasn't happening naturally started to happen supernaturally. And now she's doing fine. She's still got challenges. She's still got a heart condition. In fact, next week, it's her ninth birthday, next Saturday. And uh, her mum said to her, I'm so glad you're with us. We didn't know if you'd reach nine. And Elizabeth replied, 
Jesus has given me all these years with you. She knew the power of the resurrection. That it wasn't just a tenet of faith. It wasn't just a fact of history. But it was actually a living reality. An experience and an encounter. And you know there's no difference between what happened in that hospital room. Or behind these locked doors to what can happen here today. Because I believe that Jesus wants to have you and me experience his resurrection. For it to be a personal encounter. I was praying this morning and just asking the Lord what, if there was any needs here. There, there, there were two things the Lord said. One was that there are people here with kidney issues. Their kidneys aren't working properly. They're not filtering the poisons from their system or their, their, their you know, uh, fluid is building up. But, but the kidneys aren't working properly. There are a number of people who that was true for in the first service. And I wonder if there's people here or watching on the internet for whom that's also true. Because the risen Jesus, I believe, wants to come and breathe resurrection life into those dysfunctional kidneys. And the other thing I felt, and I think this was just coming off this story of Elizabeth, is that I think that there are parents here with kids who are sick, and, and particularly with neurological problems, whether that's epilepsy or, or whether that's seizures. And I, I believe with all my heart that as you bring your children to Jesus, he'll touch them. Because one thing that Jesus loved to do in his ministry was welcome children. You know, the disciples wanted to shoo them away. They get in the way. They make a noise. They don't sit down when they should. They don't listen as attentively as some adults appear to listen. <laughs> but Jesus always had time for kids. And I believe he's got time for your children. And I believe he wants to touch them. Do any of those two things... Is anybody here like that, either with kidney issues or, or whose children need a touch from him, who are sick, particularly with neurological things? If this is, can you just give us a one over here? Thank you. Anybody? Uh, thank you. And, and anybody? I really believe, you know, th th there's no need to be afraid because Jesus wants to take the resurrection, the most powerful thing in history. And focus it very lovingly and very gently but very powerfully in your life and in mine. Well, let's turn over the page from John chapter 20. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Verse 55 and 56, I'm reading from the ESV this time. It describes the closing uh, hours, minutes actually, of... Uh, the first martyr's life, Stephen. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Hmm. That's what a Christian death looks like. Gazing into heaven, seeing the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. In the end of the gospels, the resurrected Jesus is on the earth. And here in Acts, he's in heaven. So what happened? Well, this leads us to our third truth. The resurrection is a rock solid fact. The resurrection is a personal encounter. And the resurrection is a door to heaven. You see, the earth was not the final destination of the risen Christ. Heaven is. Actually, he's given resurrection power to the church, to us through the Holy Spirit. But he's in heaven. And that was his ultimate destination. And so 40 days after he was raised from the dead, Jesus summons his disciples and they assemble on the Mount of Olives. And then in Acts 1, it tells us that, that he was taken up before them and, and he, he goes up into the sky. Now, even though they didn't see it, there was an invisible company with Jesus. There was a great cloud of witnesses with him. The saints of old recently liberated from their quarters in Hades where he had gone after he died on the cross. Their promissory notes, the promissory notes of their faith now redeemed by his precious blood are being clutched in their hands. And because they're redeemed, they can now be transferred and rehoused to better quarters. Paul tells us in Ephesians that when he ascended, he led a host of captives. And so up they rise. Up through the first heaven and up through the second heaven. That used to be the domain of all the forces of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. That's where demons and principalities and powers used to live and have their headquarters. But since the atomic explosion of the cross and their defeat and their vanquishing, all that's changed and that's now swept clear. And so up he rises and up they go with him. Through the first heaven, through the second heaven, into the third heaven, which is the domain of God himself. That's where Paul had been caught up some years later and where John went to write his revelation. And as they see the lights of glory come into focus, the company say to one another, let's tell them who's coming home. And so they call out to the angelic guardians of heaven. And they say, lift up your heads, O oh, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. But heaven's guardians don't open so easily. And so they call back, who is he, this king of glory? And the witnesses say, let's tell them. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty in battle. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, Hamashiach, the anointed one. He is the Lamb of God, the one and only Son. He's resurrection and way and truth and life and door and gate. Single-handedly, he's defeated Satan on the battlefields of Golgotha. He descended into Hades. He announced his victory. He took the keys and now he's coming home. So swing wide those gates and let him in. 
At the mention of the name of Jesus, those gates swing wide. And Jesus Christ enters into the domain of God. He enters into the great celestial city. He enters into heaven itself. And all the angels are whooping and dancing and jumping about and rejoicing that the one they saw leave 33 years before is now returning. He walks through the streets. He goes to the palace of God. He finds the throne room of God. He ascends the stairs of that throne. The father stands to his feet and opens his arms. He embraces his son. And then he says, son, sit here now at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And at that moment, he installs Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And at his coronation, he says, you became obedient to death, even death on the cross. But today, Jesus, I am giving you a name which is above every name. And I give you my solemn promise that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in earth, under the earth and in heaven and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And with that, the whole of heaven breaks into an anthem. The people who are there who have come with him, that great choir of angels, and they sing out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, now to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And you know what? They've been singing it ever since. And sometimes we join in with them. Here on a Sunday morning, we are worshiping the Lamb of God who was slain. The Lamb who is now the Lion. The victim who is now the victor. The crucified who is now the king enthroned in heaven. The resurrection, a rock solid fact. The resurrection, a personal encounter. The resurrection, a door to heaven. And finally, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It says, for the Lord himself will appear, this is at his second coming, with a declaration of victory, with the shout of the archangel, with the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then those of us who are alive will join them, transported together in clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. The fourth truth about the resurrection is it's a future promise. There's a very select group of people, about 2,000 in number, who are trying to beat death by being cryogenically frozen in liquid nitrogen, waiting for a breakthrough in medical science that will hopefully bring them back to life. Others have put their names on a list. Three I discovered, one is Simon Cowell, one's Britney Spears, and the other's Larry King, and I'm sure there's more. They'll pay between $28,000 and $200,000 for this procedure. They could have saved their money. Because the truth is, death was defeated 2,000 years ago. 
Jesus came to the earth the first time in weakness and humility. But he's going to come again in glory and strength. The lamb who took away the sin of the world will return as the lion who will vanquish every last foe. And when he does, when he returns, when heaven is split open, when he comes on his great white horse, when all the company of heaven is with him, the archangel will give a shout. Arise! And another will blow their trumpet, a long blast, the ancient sign of summoning together the people of God. And when they do that, the soil of planet earth will begin to bubble and boil as every dead saint comes back to life at the command of God. And in resurrection power, they'll rise up and they'll experience in a physical way what Jesus experienced when he was here on the earth. We're going to be in that company unless he comes back in our lifetime. And then we'll be changed. And we will be like him. And as we go up, we'll call out to one another. Isn't it the truth? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory now? Because his resurrection has become ours. Rock solid fact. Personal encounter. Door into heaven. Promise of our future. And may these things burn in us as we appreciate all that Jesus Christ has done for his glory. Amen.